0: Did you know that the very first assembly of photographs to create a motion picture was a two-second clip of a black man on a horse? And that man is my great-great-grandfather. Great. Great. There's another great-grandfather. But that's why back at the Haywood Ranch, as the only black-owned horse trainers in Hollywood, we like to say, since the moment pictures could move, yeah, skin in the game.
1: It a bad miracle. They got word for
0: that.
1: Yeah, no, no, no. Wow. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. This is Mike joining me as always. It's Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom? How are you? Greetings and salutations, watchers of the
2: sky. Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. Mike, how the hell are you doing?
1: I'm doing good, and I was kind of wondering, like, how is he going to describe the uh, the fandom of people listening this time because of uh, <laughs> the I nature of the with, movie? I almost went with uh,
2: TV monkey fans, but eh. <laughs>
1: justice for gordy yeah justice say. for Gordy. <laughs> we need t-shirts made up justice for gordy oh
2: my god i'm starting the hashtag uh trend right now <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right uh also joining us as always it's don and nelly what's up don how are you
0: yeah always great to be here and absolutely hashtag justice for gordy
1: <laughs> all right well if people are listening and scratching their heads at that it probably means they didn't watch the movie, which I recommend not listening to this episode if you haven't watched it yet. Um, unless you're just going to listen to general thoughts, then that's that's fine. But uh, no surprise, we are covering Jordan Peele's Nope this week. Uh, it just hit theaters, uh, probably one of the bigger releases of the second half of the year, if not the entire year. So... Uh, not much mm-hmm. to Halloween, say. Ends
0: would, Halloween ends would probably have something to say about the second
2: half of the year.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean,
2: can't imagine okay. it's going to be a better movie, but it, you could almost bet money that it's going to make more at the box office.
1: Yeah, it'll probably it'll definitely have a bigger opening weekend. Nope, it yeah. was pretty successful, but Halloween oh. ends. Yeah, be-
0: I, I mean, first I mean first half of the year is fine, but uh, I, I think second half of the year Halloween ends is going to have something to say about it. So. <laughs>
1: Alright, yeah, so directed, written by Jordan Peele and the synopsis The residents of a lonely gulch in inland California bear witness to an uncanny and chilling discovery short, concise, and doesn't give away too much. So uh, we will get right into general thoughts um, and kick it to Venom. I want to hear what you thought about Nope.
2: Well, I am a fan of Jordan Peele. I think anybody who's listened to us for a long time knows that. And I wouldn't be wouldn't be surprised going into this uh, and walking out of the theater thinking that it was a great movie. And guess what? I completely concur. Yes, I had a great time with this. I really enjoyed it. I look at this movie a lot like The Black Phone, where it's not this exceptional, beautiful masterpiece, but so little of it frustrated me that I just... I have nothing positive things to say about it. I thought the characterizations were great. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer are stellar in this film. Absolutely wonderful performances from them. Obviously, you're going to have awesome writing from Jordan Peele, who is you know, obviously now an Oscar winner for Get Out. So, you know, dialogue and, and uh, character development, things like that, you know you're going to get that. Now, I will admit the movie is very slow to start. We get a lot of character development in the first act. We do get a pretty cool cold open that doesn't really explain anything, just gives us a nice bloody image to go into the movie with. Uh, Well, you know, we get the explanation later in the film, of course. But, you know, from the cold open, from the character development with uh, our two, you know, our brother and sister, their father, uh, Keith David, uh, just just an amazing cast put together once again by Mr. Peel. And I mean, the story itself, I mean, it's not anything we haven't seen before. This isn't this is by no means Jordan Peele's most innovative film. It's not anybody who's seen the trailer pretty much knows what it's about. I had an idea what it was about going into it because of the movie poster, watching all the main characters kind of looking straight up in the sky. It kind of gives away the antagonist of the film. But once you actually watch the trailer, that second trailer, man, this, this is a perfect example of why I don't watch trailers anymore, folks. That second trailer just gave away way too much about the film. There's still a lot in the film. Don't get me wrong. It's not like you're getting even half the information of the film or half of the plot points. There's still a lot going on in the film. But just the mere fact that I went into it not knowing what kind of antagonist we're looking at, it just gave me a cool, you know, it was a cool reveal for me when we actually see what we're dealing with. Um, I have no problem with the character decisions in this movie. Uh, almost 100 percent of the decisions in this movie I agree with. Um, the, the use of the horse farm was awesome. The, the the fact that these guys wrangle horses for movie sets, you know, we still get some of the biting social commentary in this one from Jordan Peele. Definitely not as thick as uh, Get Out or Us, but it's still there. It's still very solidly there. And of course, you know, the commentary is about race, but this one also has some things about um ageism and even you know subjugated classes which you know i'll get more into in the uh spoiler section but yeah i ended up really liking this movie there's a scene in this movie that absolutely reminds me of my favorite slayer album which you know anybody i know mike knows what i'm talking about already but yeah just an an amazing there's multiple scenes in this movie that are really cool set pieces. And one thing that I really, really have to highlight here is the goddamn cinematography. This is some of the most gorgeous cinematography I've seen all year. These nighttime scenes in this movie, and I'm saying without exception, folks, these are the best nighttime scenes I've ever seen shot in a film. The fact that you can see everything clearly, the fact that even... even though it's dark out and there's clouds blocking the, the moon, you can still see the things that Daniel Kaluuya's character thinks he sees in the sky. You still see them clearly. It's very obvious what it is, or at least kind of what it is. I mean, we get a little bit of a reveal on what it actually is later in the film. But, yeah, overall, I had a really good time with this movie. I have very little complaints. Is it Jordan Peele's best movie? No. But I'm also not here to play the compare game. You guys know this about me. I don't like comparing remakes with originals, and I don't like comparing um, you know, a director's third film with their first two. So I am not here to discuss Get Out or Us. I am here to talk about Nope, and I had a thoroughly great time with the film. So that's it for me for general thoughts.
1: Okay, I'll kick it over to Don. What are your general thoughts on Nope?
0: All right, yeah. Um, I don't have much original stuff to add to this. Um, I, I, I will say, in, in terms of uh, entertainment value, this is easily my favorite of uh, Peel's work. Um, I had a lot of fun with this. Uh, definitely agree on a lot of that being uh, based on the two characters. Uh, M and OJ are just absolutely so much fun to hang around with. I almost didn't even realize that it was a uh, slow pace at the beginning. Um, a lot of the interactions about being on the farm, learning mm-hmm. all the family backstory. Um, I, I mean, it's kind of cool. I like that little tidbit about uh, that famous uh, still photograph or uh, not ph- photograph, but uh, uh, they tie in that uh, little thing that they have with uh, the guy on the horse being the great grandfather. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a pretty cool little tidbit in uh you know um interactions with uh, you know the landowners and all the you know various electronics that are going haywire and nobody knows what's going on and trying to you know get to the backstory and all that kind of stuff being dug out I, I didn't mind that nothing was, was uh, really happening um can I call this a horror film mm. Mm. yeah that's kind of uh, my that's <laughs> my big thing with this one is that I I I really can't quite get there um you know some of the you know scenes are kind of chilling there's a you know um the nighttime sequence is probably its biggest uh set piece although um that uh well i i can't really say it uh, in terms of a, not being a, a spoiler but there there is a daytime encounter that uh, kind of is up there but uh, yeah I, I for me i think the biggest thing is that it's not as much of a horror film as his other two are which uh I I can't quite say I don't know quite know if that would be, you know, enough of a detriment to this one but yeah, this is just so much fun. Um I I enjoy it. Um I'm definitely interested in where the social commentary is because uh knowing Peel I expected to find it but I surprisingly didn't catch any of it. So that that'll be uh something that I'm going to be keen to hear because I I actually couldn't find any of it. So I thought this was kind of like, you know, he's going for the mainstream kind of, you know, I'm not really going to, you know, pepper any of that in there. I'm just going to, you know, enjoy this kind of convert, you know, this take on, you know, these two characters and just go from there. But uh, yeah, if you found that I'm interested in it, because I mean, I loved Peel's two films uh, so far. So this is definitely, you know, three for three for me. Um, but yeah, um, I, I think the only real detriment I can say to this one is that it doesn't quite hit the genre notes for me. But <laughs> am I glad that uh, we're covering this? Yeah, because I, I enjoy it. Um, this was a fun time. Uh, great visuals. Uh, you know, the I mean, I, if it's in this trailer, I, I can't really say that this is a spoiler. But oh, I love the look of the ship. I love the. Design you know mm-hmm. design of the aliens, uh, you know, I mean I guess that's kind of, you know, out there so it's not really too much of a spoiler, but mm-hmm. yeah, it, it looks great. Uh, you know, it flew by fun in a you know, great time. I, I didn't notice that it was, you know it's like what, an hour and fifty minutes almost? It's like just shy of two hours, right? Oh uh, yeah, no,
1: it's for um, two I hours. thought I thought it was two just hours and eleven two minutes. Hours
0: yeah over two wow yeah really? I, I thought it was bordering i thought it was like just under so yeah i mean that i mean right there should say everything about the plot i thought it was under two hours but wow turns out it's over but uh yeah um i mean the only real thing i can say against it it doesn't quite me- hit tick the genre notes for me but um, i'm not mad at it i had fun with it and uh, I, I liked it enough that i mean i i'm definitely down to revisit this one again because uh yeah, it's kind of weird with me for Peel is that uh, each of his films I like more on repeat viewings. So uh, going back to revisit this one uh, later in the year when it comes out, uh, yeah, it's going to be a fun time. But um, yeah, other than that, I can't really add uh, much uh, else because I mean, yeah, I'm writing uh, line with Venom and his thoughts, so don't have uh, much interesting uh, much uh, else to add to it.
2: Uh, before Mike goes, I did want to point out, because Don and I tend to disagree on this point so often in the course of this series. And I wanted to just point out that I 100% agree with Don that this is not a horror film. This is 100% not a horror film. Um, there is one horrific scene in this movie that definitely, you know, it's pretty tense, pretty gnarly. That In mm-hmm. my screening, a couple of people actually walked out, believe it or not um really they ended up coming back they didn't leave the movie they just uh they didn't want to watch that scene um even though it wasn't nearly as intense as i thought it was going to be it was still pretty goddamn intense so but yeah i just wanted to point out that i totally agree with don with uh, um don with this one not a horror film you know you could call it a sci-fi action thriller you know uh something along those lines but i just (laughs) I, I just i can't bring myself to call it horror
0: yeah, it's kind of weird. Is that I I don't really know where it goes. Um, I mean, dramatic sci-fi thriller is kind of a, a decent one, but i I mean, I'm not mad at that we're covering it. Unlike some of the other stuff we've covered, but it, yeah, it's just it, it doesn't tick the boxes, but it's close enough that I don't mind it. Um, exactly. you know, I, I yeah, I mean, it's definitely appealing for genre fans, but. Yeah, it just in terms of it being like a, you know, straight up genre fair, like, uh, you know, I mean, not to compare it with like The Sadness or Black Phone or anything like that, but it doesn't quite reach those levels. So it's mm-hmm. it's kind of a weird one where I don't know where to put it, but it's close enough that I'm not, you know, oh, it's not, you know, the horror film, it's not going to be one to watch. It's like, hmm, I, I don't know where to put it, but I'm not mad that as a genre podcast, we're covering it, if that makes sense.
2: Absolutely. I'm 100% happy we're looking at it. I I think this is a movie that's going to make genre fans very happy. Uh, Most of them, anyway. It's not going to be a universally loved film by any stretch, especially because it's the third movie in his you know in in his filmography and it's the one that people are looking for him to kind of fail on you know I've already heard so many people giving this movie negative reviews and I have no idea what movie they watched but there it is so this is why yeah, I don't want to play the compare game folks I'm not going to compare yeah. this to get out and I'm not going to compare this to us this is nope and that's what I'm talking about today so yeah. take it away mike yeah,
1: yeah absolutely and my other issue with that is like there should be no expectations about what type of movie a director is making just based on what they've made in the past, especially it's, it's only his third film. It's not like he has two decades of a resume and then finally, and then one day he suddenly decided to do something in a totally different direction. Right. It's his third film, but um, as, it, yeah. And I, and it's like, if you want to make the argument that it's not horror enough for horror fans, that's fine, but it still doesn't make it a good or bad movie. Right. It, it, you still got to judge yeah. the movie. On I it. mean, like I, I, I said, said-
0: I mean, you know, again for me sorry to chime in, but I mean, to me I like this the most of his films so far and I generally like his films more on rewatch. So I'm really intrigued where uh, where this is going to land on a repeat viewing because you know, to me this is the one that I had the most fun with, but I usually like his films more on rewatches anyway. So mm-hmm. Yeah, this is going to be a kind of an interesting thing to see where it falls uh, you know, later in the year when we finally get it in mass and finally get it on VOD or something like that.
1: True, yeah. So I have a couple things that Venom brought up to follow up on, but I kind of think I should save it for spoilers just because, one, I would say it qualifies as horror, and I'll give an example of a similar, like a corner of the horror genre i'd put it in but i don't want to do it till spoilers because i feel like if i name it off i like i don't even want to tip anyone off about like anything extra about the mm-hmm. movie till spoilers and then two um as far as like social commentary and stuff goes, or subtext uh venom you name off a few things that i think are in there too and i i read uh, for anyone that likes to look up stuff there's a pretty good times article that they explore like different uh, possibilities and they named off a bunch of stuff that different authors or editorial writers you know came up with the main thing i got out of it as far as subtext and stuff goes is uh, it was a movie about spectacle and making spectacles
2: mm-hmm.
1: out of things and oh i think you know, i know what can...
2: movie you're talking about
1: <laughs> <laughs> well we can obviously get into that in spoilers but yep. you know for now i'll just keep it general yeah for me appeals three for three uh, regardless of where this falls, I would say honestly – and this is only one watch. And To me, Peel's movies are made for at least a follow-up watch, if not like multiple after that. I would say right now it, it's his third best, but I've only seen it once. And all the other – both his other ones I've seen multiple times. And like Don, I, I would reiterate what Don said – Even when I like Peel's movies, they usually go up even more on multiple watches. So to even give this a final grade of any type Mm -hmm. at this point for me would – I'd almost have to say I love it and it's an incomplete rating because uh, I – even talking about it with some some people on Friday night after I saw it, all that conversation made me want to do is watch it again because I'm like now I need to go (laughs) see anything I missed or any points other people are bringing up and where I think I got it wrong or – you know strengthen my position or or whatever but i love the characters i love um the fact that it takes place in california but not like your typical uh parts of california that you know the, the state's known for by everyone not from here um i love the backstory we get that it actually has some historical relevance um i i love the plan they concoct to uh deal with uh the thing in Nope, I guess all will refer yeah. to it as now. Um, I love the backstory of Stephen Ewan's character like that. Yeah. That was some of the mo- like that flashback scene is one of the most tension filled things in the entire movie, if not um, the the most. Um, and I, I love kind of where the movie goes. I do agree. To me, I think it's actually. It kind of plays more for horror, I think, in the first half when they still don't know exactly what they're dealing with yet because we get a lot of like the the typical like more jump scare type stuff and not even like a lot of it but just certain scenes whereas once we kind of get the reveal of what's going on, then it kind of mellows out save for like – there's a couple scenes where we see something in action and we're like, okay – it, it, it means business obviously but i think uh just the movie itself kind of like chills a little bit but i i love everything going on in this movie i th- i think it's great and i think it's probably going to get even better on a rewatch uh peel just adds another one to his resume and like I, I feel like at the end of this i'm left with how i was at the end of his first two i can't wait to see what he does next
2: yeah, um, I, I actually did watch it twice this weekend. Um, I, I just had to watch it a second time before I talked about it. And I definitely caught a lot more as far as Easter eggs and things like that go, like kind of like posters that were hanging, you know, on the ranch and different things that were in like um, Stephen Yin's um, office and his museum mm-hmm. and things like that. So that it was definitely worth seeing it a second time. And I will definitely say, I will happily say, that I liked the movie more after the second watch. I just had, even though I knew everything that was coming, I just had so much fun with it. And I'm right there with Don. This movie does not feel two hours and 10 minutes. Even on second watch, knowing it was two hours and 10 minutes, it still didn't feel that way. So yeah, kudos, Mr. Peel. Oh, and this is also, I got to say, one of his funniest movies. Like, I, I wouldn't go so far as to call this a horror comedy by any stretch of the imagination. But it's legitimately one of his funniest movies. Kiki Palmer is a goddamn riot in this movie. just
0: I think that's just her uh, show business leanings because she came up on sitcoms.
2: And it makes absolute sense because her timing is yeah. great all throughout this movie. Um, you know, even when she's being kind of a, a not the nicest person because she's not concentrating on her father's business the way that she should be. She still comes off as entertaining, not hateable. You know, you could tell that this is just a brother and sister that don't see the same path in front of them. And with their father very recently, or at least six months ago, um, dying, they obviously have to make some hard decisions about the ranch and the horses and everything else. But even though at times, like I said, Kiki Palmer's character M comes off as, uh, uh you know, a little shitty and... Not real respectful to her brother. She's still a great character that I was constantly laughing at. I, I had to have laughed in at least every other scene that she was in. She would say something over the top or legit funny or kind of fangirl, like when she first meets Stephen Yen and realizes. Oh, who oh is. that was hysterical! Yeah, oh, that's I, awesome. I loved it. <laughs> so good. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that, then, that, I mean, that was great. I loved that
2: one. Some of the. Another thing about Jordan Peele movies is that they have these little scenes that people may not walk away from the film thinking, oh, this was one of the best scenes in the movie, because they're usually a little bit more subtle. Stephen U.N. telling the story of what happened on Gordy's home, holy shit, when he's talking about the SNL skit, not when he's talking about the actual event. Just when he's talking about the SNL skit and how Chris Kattan played Gordy, something about that whole thing was so mesmerizing to me. I don't know if it's because I'm an SNL fan, but it, it seems like that's something that SNL would do. They would take a tragedy and they would make a comedic skit out of it, which once again goes back to the original kind of moral of this movie, which is spectacle. Uh, This movie is all about spectacle and, you know, uh, basically what happens to people when they can't look away from spectacle. So
1: Mm -hmm. yeah, sucked up into it.
2: (laughs) I mean, yeah, literally, if not figuratively, absolutely. I mean, yeah, peel peel is an absolute auteur. And, you know, once we get into the spoiler section and, you know, we talk about some of the stuff under the hood that I noticed on my second watch, along with some Easter eggs that I saw my second time around um, I didn't quite I didn't get I didn't get a chance to see it a third time like I did with us. You, you, you guys remember famously when we did that up, us episode, I watched it every day of opening weekend. And I brought that just laundry list of all the stuff that I was finding. Um, it's definitely not as long this time, thankfully. But God, God damn, what an awesome movie. I mean, I, like I said, there's going to be a lot of haters for this film. Um, You know, like I said, third film in this uh, uh, director's filmography, it's pretty much rife for criticism and everything else and people just flat out hating it because it's cool to hate something that everyone loves. So, you know, I feel bad for this movie, but ultimately I love this movie and I wish it all the luck in the world. I mean, this is Jordan Peele's third movie to debut at number one in the box office. But this is the first one that didn't make a profit after uh, the first weekend. Uh, This movie had a 60 million dollar budget and it made 44.4 million this weekend, which is an awesome opening weekend for a genre film. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, this is the first one that didn't make its money back. So take that with,
1: you know, however you will.
2: Um, but it's definitely going to make a, a lot of money. Is uh,
1: that domestic and international? Or? I don't
2: think it got an international release. I can't find any international numbers. Maybe it comes out oh, next okay. week internationally or something. I'm not sure. I could only find domestic numbers. Okay. And yeah, that's what I found. 44.4 with a budget of 60 million. So, But I mean, you could see where the 60 million went. This movie is gorgeous. The effects are great. Yes, it's all CG. Of course it is. It has to be. But it is so goddamn pretty. It is easily the biggest um, Jordan Peele movie as far as scope goes, even though us had a grand scope because it covered the entire country to an extent. This movie taking place in big open skies and in um, up here in like the north of the San Fernando Valley. By the way, I recognize every single location that they brought up in this movie. And Mr. Venom has been kicked out of the fries that was in this movie.
1: <laughs> uh, really?
2: <laughs> yeah, I went, to, I went there drunk because um, there's an AMC theater right next to it, or at least there used to be. Uh, it's gone now. Uh, so is that fries, by the way. That fries is long gone. But um there used to be a movie theater right next to that Fry's that had a bar inside of it. The AMC's, you know, they have that MacGuffin's bar inside. So mm-hmm. I got wasted before I think it was Friday the 13th, um, the remake in 2009. I got drunk. I went to watch the movie. I wasn't real happy with the movie, as anybody who's heard me review it knows. Um, So then I went to Fry's because I remembered uh, the week before they had the Dracula soundtrack on vinyl, Bram Stoker's Dracula on vinyl, which I really wanted because I love that soundtrack. So I went to go pick it up and they didn't have it. They were sold out and I made a fucking scene. I don't even remember exactly what I said because, like I said, I was a little tipsy. But, yeah, I got kicked out of that Fry's. (laughs) It was pretty funny. (laughs) But yeah, Dulce. I know where Aguaduce is. That's up uh, in Topanga Canyon. Um, what else? Uh, they were at Fry's. Um, the Jupiter's Claim thing is actually called Gold Rush. It, it actually is a real location out here. Um, what else? I think that's it for locations. Because I don't know. I mean, the farm was up in Agua Dulce, but I, I'm not ultra familiar with that area. I've been through there on my way to Lancaster and Palmdale many times, but or Palm, yeah, Palmdale and uh, and even Vegas. I mean, you can go to Vegas going through Agua Dulce. Um, so, yeah, it was just cool to see a very California movie. Uh, just like Mike said, you know, it's not like we get the Hollywood sign in downtown L.A., But if you're from this area, it's just a cool little callback to see all these different locales that you're familiar
1: with. No one's riding a Porsche down Highway 1.
2: Exactly. (laughs) Nobody's on the 405 with a horse or nothing. Yeah. Um, But yeah, my God. I mean, what else can we say about this that's spoiler free? Um, You know, we already talked about the comedy in the film, we already talked about these relationships. Steven Yuen is just. Awesome in this movie uh, as Ricky Joop, little Joop. Um, he definitely comes off as an ex child star um, in his mannerisms as an adult, where he's just very flamboyant, very loud, you know, like a circus barker has to be. And then, of course, when we find out what he's been doing for the last six months, it instantly makes you hate the character. Because, I mean, that's a big turn. Like, the whole time we like that character. And then he, when we find out what he's been doing for the last six months, it's like, oh, you dumb fuck. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Anybody who's seen the film knows what I'm talking about. Anyone who hasn't, get the hell out to the theater and go see it. This is this is yeah. to be supported. I,
1: I like the, uh, the character from Fries too.
2: Oh, yeah, angel, Angel was great,
1: yeah, <laughs> I th- angel. I
2: honestly thought I wasn't gonna like him, but the the deeper the movie went, the more I liked the character,
1: yeah, I think it was almost set up just have a like a mini arc like that because when when he's first introduced just as the kind of clerk at Fry's, he kind of has like the the attitude, like the superiority attitude of like you guys don't know tech, I know tech, but as he starts hanging out with them more and gets kind of interested in what they're trying to do, then. He he starts to become likable and they all kind of form a team to take on the challenge, you know?
2: Yeah. And that definitely was not an exaggeration, my friends. For any of you guys who have never been in a Fry's Electronics, the employees were always absolutely holier than thou. If you ask them a question that they deemed stupid, they would chuckle under their breath. And it's like, well, this doesn't make sense, dude. Do you think everyone knows what you know? But yeah, that that absolutely is was very common for the employees of Fry's. I don't know what kind of training they got there. And admittedly, they knew their shit. Like, I never stumped anybody at Fry's. Like, if I went in, you know, looking for a very specific computer part, they always knew what I wanted. But that doesn't give them the right to treat customers like shit, which could be part of the reason why they're not around anymore. Um, I think the last Fry's closed, what, two years ago out here in California? They are all gone now.
1: Yeah, I had one right down the road from me that in my 20s, I would be there every Tuesday to, like, scour new release shows.
2: Bad. Oh, they had the most – I mean, they always beat, like, stores like Best Buy and Target as far as, like, physical media. I mean, they're, they're, their Blu-ray section was monstrous for a little while. Yeah, mm-hmm. I loved it.
1: They would always have, like, box sets, just of random stuff that I would, like, scour.
2: Yeah, they would carry like Arrow videos, like like a lot of the like early Argento stuff that was released on Arrow. I bought it fries for like 22 bucks. It's so cool. yeah,
1: I, <laughs> back in the era when like Anchor Bay was big at releases, like I remember yeah. picking up a lot of Anchor Bay back then.
2: Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, rest in peace, fries. We do miss you and fuck Best Buy because Best Buy is terrible now. <laughs> fries was <laughs> a great store. It was just the employees that were shit. So if you, if, you, if you could go to Fry's and you knew what you wanted and where it was and you didn't have to deal with an employee, then Fry's was awesome. As opposed to Best Buy where the employees are friendly but they don't know shit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. All right.
2: All right, folks, anything else you guys want to add before we jump into the spoilers?
1: Um, just, I, I mean, I think I mentioned it briefly, but just I think the movie does a really good job of kind of setting up The story because like what kind of what's going on in the industry there it's like something that i know nothing about i would imagine most theater goers don't know much about like the history of what they're talking about but i just think it's set up really well in an endearing way to get you instantly like immersed into kind of like that region of the state and just you know what they're all about as like the family you know the trainers and all that
2: and talking about loving homages i mean This movie feels like a Spielberg movie to me. This is a Jordan Peele Spielberg co-production as you're watching it. There's so much Spielberg in this movie. Like I said, the big scope, the big antagonist, you know, things like that. Um, I got elements of Jaws out of this movie specifically. Um, Obviously, there's going to be elements of like Close Encounters of the Third Kind and – else like fire in the sky stuff like that but you know for obvious reasons but ultimately um the the homage that i saw the most of was just spielberg like you could you could tell peel is a spielberg fan this movie has the stink of steel spielberg all over it and i am not complaining my friends i think it's great so yeah Mm -hmm. honor honor the people that inspired you and that's exactly what peel is doing so all right, folks, so that is your final spoiler warning. We're going to go into a somewhat walkthrough. Once again, this is a theatrical release where I am unable to take notes in the theater, so I'm going to do my best to get through as much as I can, but, you know, I may miss some stuff here and there. So,
1: I, I will, our movie. Hold on, real quick, since we're in yeah. spoilers, officially, I can say the name of the movie that I... It kind of gave me a little bit of feeling of. And and when we were talking about, like, is it horror or not? And I was, like, referencing where kind of I would push it. To me, I would kind of push it in, like, the same category as, like, Tremors, where I didn't think Tremors was necessarily made for the scares. It was more like a kind of a fun creature feature. So if you think of this as, like, Tremors in the Sky, almost, uh, I think it's, like, a long... Like, I don't think it's, like, it is Tremors, literally, but just that kind of feeling of a movie where sure. it's it's not played for scares more just fun and you have mm-hmm. some type of unexplainable creature going on but whereas tremors was like underground in the dirt uh, this was in the sky and our characters are kind of learning more about it as it goes along but we never really get like a full explanation either way of either the graboids yes. in and tremors or what the hell this thing is in the sky
2: yeah uh, it's funny i thought you were going for Cronenberg's crash because at the time you were talking about the spectacle of it all and how, you know, that's kind of the main point of this movie is the spectacle and humans Mm -hmm. inability to ignore spectacle. Um, So that's what I kind of where I thought you were going, but yeah, I should have known you were going for something more horror than, (laughs) than some weird psychosexual movie, but still (laughs) a great movie, nonetheless. All right, folks. So our movie, opens up with a biblical verse and anybody who listens to me knows I fucking love when horror movies start with the biblical verse. Cause they're always so goddamn bleak. And this one is no exception. Our movie opens up with, uh, Nahum. Uh, what is it? Chapter three, verse six. And the verse goes as this, and I will cast abominable filth upon thee and make thee vile and will set thee as a spectacle. Ah, God, I I get so jazzed when there's biblical verses in front of a horror movie. So (laughs) um, our movie opens up. We get a quick cold open where we see a television studio and we see a a chimp, you know, one of those TV chimps that's in comedy shows. And we see him covered in blood. He's got blood all over his arms, um, blood all over his face. And he just looks like he's just been through a war. Um, It looks like he's starting to calm down, and then suddenly he looks into the camera, like directly into the camera very menacingly, and then it just goes to black, and we get our title card, nope. So obviously a very ambiguous cold open. Um, After the uh, title card, we are introduced to our two main characters. They are O.J. Haywood. Well, we're not introduced to M right away. We're introduced to O.J. and his father, Otis. And O.J. stands for Otis Jr., which actually was kind of a funny line in the movie, because there was a a white woman, an actress in the movie who couldn't believe there's a black man named O.J. (laughs) So there you go. Um, We're introduced to um, Keith David's character, Otis and Otis Jr., played by Daniel Kaluuya. They are on their farm. They're having a conversation about something that needs to be done. And then suddenly we hear all the machinery on the farm just stop and everything is totally silent. All you can hear is the wind out of nowhere. You hear a very faint noise of a scream of a human scream. It could be human. It could be animal, but just a very faint noise of a scream. And then suddenly out of nowhere, debris starts falling out of the sky. We're not sure what debris we just hear. Things falling out of the sky there. Obviously, some of them are metal, plastic, whatever the case may be. And we see um, Otis, uh, Keith David's character, starts to ride away on his horse as Daniel, his son, excuse me, as OJ, his son, is yelling at him, Dad, what's up? And we see Keith David fall off the horse. He completely falls off the horse. Then we are transported to the hospital where we see a dead Keith David on the on the gurney. I mean, a pretty epic close up of this of a dead Keith David. And what we can see is there is a slit in one of his eyes. Uh, Then we see an X-ray and the X-ray shows some round metallic object has somehow got lodged in his head. And then we get to see the culprit and it is a nickel, one U.S. nickel. Yes, fell from the sky and went right through his eye into his brain and pretty much killed him. It wasn't instant, but it was it was pretty quick, unfortunately. Um, And basically, the police chalk it up as a plane. Uh, They figure that a plane of some kind, either a commercial airliner or a private jet, maybe just dumped its garbage or, you know, maybe dumped debris or something to lighten its load. And it all got scattered on this farm and killed uh, Otis so at this point we are now it's now six months later six months after the death of Otis and we see Daniel uh, Daniel's character OJ is on the set of a commercial with one of his horses and you can see that he's very standoffish he's not ultra confident he's he's talking really low he's trying to give a safety um, seminar on you know with because they're dealing with a live horse on set, so he's trying to give them a safety seminar. Nobody's really paying attention until his sister shows up, and that's when we get Kiki Parker playing Emerald Hayward, Haywood, or as she's known throughout the movie, just M. She comes in with her big bubbly personality and gives this great introduction that I'm sure a lot of you saw in the trailer where she talks about her great, 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 great grandfather and how he was um, the subject of the very first motion picture or should I say the first series of pictures put together to make a motion picture. After I saw the movie, I actually went online, and there's actually a little bit of contention as to whether – because this is a real thing. The, 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 the film strip in the movie is actually real. It's from 1870-something, I believe, 1879. And there's actually a little bit of controversy because a lot of purists don't call that the first motion picture. They said that that's kind of cheating, that he just he basically took what, like 20 or 21 images and then lined them up so that it, and and then, you know, like I said, took pictures of them, put them on film and boom, there's your motion picture. Well, maybe not film in the 1800s, but whatever media they had, Uh probably a flip book or something. <laughs> um So. So yeah, there is a little bit of controversy about that. If you're interested in the story, look it up. There's some great articles about it online. I was fascinated for a good hour with this story. It doesn't really have a whole lot to do with our film, so I'm going to skip it for now. Um, So, like I said, M gives this great introduction, but then M, after she gives the introduction, rather than staying on the set and helping her brother, who's obviously uncomfortable, he's very uncomfortable, because he's basically doing what his father always did. And his father, of course, was Keith David, who is this big, you know, charismatic personality that everybody tends to love, and then Daniel Kaluuya is this soft-spoken, you know, always looking down at his shoes type person, so... Um, we see that people aren't listening to O.J.'s instruction. He's telling people to back off from the horse. He's telling people not to look the horse in the eye. Remember that, by the way. Um, and no one is listening. And what ends up happening is one of the um, grips comes on stage to get a lighting um, like value. And he has one of those mirror balls with him. He ends up turning the mirror ball towards the horse so that the horse sees itself. And instantly he rears up and kicks behind him. Luckily he doesn't, he doesn't actually hit anyone, but what he does kick is the makeup bag of the makeup artist on set. So we see like, you know, uh, cake, uh, makeup, just fly all over the set. Of course, Um, O.J. and his sister are fired from the job This is where we get a little bit of ageism Not so much racism, but ageism Because we hear uh, the director and the casting guy Kind of talking about where's the jockey You know, where's the older guy that we always worked with And that's when the director was informed He died six months ago This is his son, and this is what we're stuck with And the director isn't even trying to hide his reaction Like right in front of O.J. He's like, oh shit, damn it Okay, we'll make do So, of course, after the incident, he's fired unceremoniously. Um, His sister is just not around. We can see that she's more interested in her own career. She acts, she sings, she dances, she rides motorcycles, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's actually rather entertaining to hear her, you know, go through this spiel. Even though she is kind of ignoring the family business and concentrating on her own shit, which kind of makes her a little hateable early on, but like I said, she's such a charismatic character that you end up liking her.
1: Well, I think that too, like where there's like different layers of spectacle going on because you know they're do they're there to do a certain job, and she's making it more about you know advertising other stuff. Almost she's advertising mm-hmm. herself along with what they're there to do, and he, OJ. He's like the one constant in the movie. I mean, I know we're still kind of at the beginning of the story, but he kind of remains the one constant where he's never really interested in doing more than just like his daily routine in life. And, you know, he's quiet. He keeps his head down. There's multiple times in the movie where like other characters want to, you know, do something else or come up with like a big plan or leave, get out of there. And he's just like, I got work to do like he's yeah. very matter of fact he's not in a, he's not in any of this for fame or fortune he's just like this is what we do this is my job and i think that's ultimately kind of like why he yeah, comes out a hero, you know,
2: and about about halfway through the movie, we even get a great scene where he explains why he continues to do it. He talks about how his father started this ranch, how they're the only black owned horse wranglers in Hollywood and how her, his dad changed history. And he's like, I can't walk away from that. I have to honor that. And I have to keep trying, despite the fact that they're losing money hand over fist. Um He's still so dedicated to his father's memory that he's going to continue this, which, again, makes him an incredibly likable guy. So whereas Kiki, Kiki isn't like a total bitch where she's like, oh, fuck what dad was doing and fuck this farm. She's not quite that bad, but she's obviously more interested in her own stuff. So there you go. All right. At this point. um uh now at this point we start getting chapter titles. The movie after after our open uh which is probably a good 10 to 15 maybe 20 minutes. We actually get our first chapter title and the first chapter is called Ghost. Technically the second chapter. I guess you could call the first chapter the intro since you know we're we're getting all the character development and everything. So we actually get a title card that comes across the screen that says Ghost and what uh what happens during this chapter is uh their ho- their their horse ghost which is a beautiful white horse probably an arabian really nice looking um basically just jumps over the fence starts running off for no reason whatsoever um but daniel uh, excuse me oj <laughs> does uh hear he he basically follows his horse for as long as he can um to try to you know he has like a uh, you know like a buggy that he kind of uh, drives around like a golf cart type thing that he drives around the farm to get from end to end he chases the horse down with that he never actually catches up to the horse but what he does end up seeing is out of the corner of his eye he looks up and he sees a disc shaped object move behind the clouds you 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 only see it for a split second but it's very obvious what it is, you know, ultimately, like I said, anyone who's seen the trailer uh, kind of knows that this is and I'm going to say it now. Finally, it is an alien movie. Yes, this is solidly an alien movie. Definitely nothing else, um, though. There is an underlying story about um, people being um, Not people, but entities being made into spectacle against their will and what they do to lash back at that. So uh, keep that kind of moral in mind as we go through this. Uh, Like I said, Ghost, um, he tries to follow Ghost, the white horse, but Ghost disappears. But then suddenly he hears Ghost run towards an area where the lights have gone out. Basically, all the lights on the farm have gone out. Sounds very familiar to an EMP, if you will, an electronic um, magnetic pulse, which basically kills all electronics. Um, And you remember the opening scene where I said all the farm machinery uh, stopped working right before all the debris fell from the sky. So, you know, we're starting to put two and two together. We're starting to understand what's going on. So we see that the lights go out in the distance. We hear ghosts running towards the lights that have gone off don't know why he's running towards the danger but whatever and then what we see are the lights come back on and we hear ghosts screaming above us so basically something flies over uh oj's head and the entire time that it flies over his head and i watched this movie in dolby in a dolby theater so uh, god damn the audio in this movie is amazing um basically oj hears um, the horse screaming as something flies over his head. And then once again, out of the corner of his eye, he gets another glimpse of a disc shaped object, um, go into the sky. And as the object goes farther and farther away, we hear the horses screaming, get lower and lower and lower until it's not, uh, audible anymore. Um, OJ goes back to the house. He lets, um, m know exactly what he saw but he's kind of standoffish about it like he won't actually say the word ufo but between the 20 questions that uh that m plays with oj she's able to figure out exactly what oj is talking about and then these two (laughs) i kind of like this because a lot of people would like decide to just leave the farm or whatever else (laughs) no These two decide to go to Fry's and buy all of this uh, surveillance equipment, cameras and cables and routers and recording equipment and everything that they need to basically have every inch of their farm covered by a camera, both on the ground and in the sky. Um, While they're doing that, this is when we meet Angel, the clerk at Fry's that they meet, who is kind of a dick at first. But then when he kind of realizes what they're doing and realizes that they're doing something that he's also interested in, you know. Obviously, through all the clues, he figures out that they're trying to catch a, get a picture of a UFO. He's also a big UFO enthusiast, so he volunteers his time to go and install all the cameras, all the cables, basically the entire system. Even offers to monitor it for free, even though um, OJ and M both say no, we don't need that, we don't want you, you know, because at this point they haven't flat out said what they're doing. Angel has a good idea but they haven't flat out said it um so that night there is of course an altercation where our little flying friend comes back and uh you know kind of appears in the sky with like a, a large um string of colored flags coming out of its whatever <laughs> I call it its mouth call it its mm-hmm. eye um at this point in the film actually there is a kind of a a, a plot point reveal where uh, O.J. tells Angel and M, I don't think this is a ship. I think it's alive. I think this thing is actually a living creature. And, of course, as the movie goes along, yes, my friends, we get the confirmation that this is not a flying saucer. It is actually a living creature that can transform its shape. Obviously, it picks the flying saucer shape probably because it's the easiest to traverse, you know, the sky, travel from point to point. But by the end of the movie, holy shit, this thing transforms into just a Lovecraftian nightmare. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, Yeah.
1: If there (laughs) is any type of twist or reveal, that's probably it, that it's not an actual ship.
2: Exactly. Um, So then we get to... We get to Jupiter's Claim, and uh, Jupiter's Claim is basically this kind of rootin' tootin' cowboy western, like, fun park, amusement theme park, whatever you want to call it. I wouldn't go so far as to say amusement park. Kind of like a rodeo, you know, kind of a cheap rodeo where there's, like, you know, you could take pictures in cowboy gear and, you know, watch a show, blah, blah, blah. Um, And Jupiter's Claim is owned by Ricky Park, who is Lil Jupe, of course, played by Steven Yuen. Uh, Throughout the course of the first interview with Stephen, as O.J. is trying to make a deal with him, because apparently this is where O.J. has been selling most of his horses since his father died, um, it it comes to light that uh, Ricky is actually the little kid from Kid Sheriff, a movie that came out back in 19, I think they said 96, because the Gordy show was 98, the Gordy incident. So I think it was a couple of years before this. (laughs) Um, He was the, he was the Asian kid, uh, the short round of the movie, if you will. The poster looks very much like a cowboy Goonies, <laughs> kind of. Um, and he played the Asian kid. Yeah. So th- that was kind of his claim to fame. And then because of his popularity from Kid Sheriff, he then got a pilot on television for a show. I, I think it was called Gordy's Home, right?
1: I believe so, yeah,
2: yeah, so, and Gordy's home, of course, is a television show where Gordy is a chimp who is basically a friend of the a friend slash pet of this family, uh, you know, with all sorts of wacky situations, blah, blah blah, and we find out that there was an incident that the show eventually ended because of an incident that occurred on the very last day of shooting. Uh, They were shooting a season two episode and something on set, something happened on set. We're We're not told why yet, but something happens on set that makes Gordy go absolutely ballistic. He just snaps and he literally kills every person that he can get his hands on on the set um we actually well that's later on we'll we'll save that for now so right now we're just getting the story verbalized by Stephen yen uh we're not getting the visuals yet and then he also talks about a skit on snl where snl um Basically made a, a comedy skit about this tragedy, which again lends back to the whole spectacle thing. SNL kind of lives on spectacle; they make, they constantly make uh, skits like that, you know, where they try to put a funny spin on a tragedy, things like that. Um, usually it works, sometimes it doesn't. But uh, the way that Stephen Yuen describes this, the skit is just awesome. It, it just it it brings joy to my heart to see how happy he is that he's describing an event that he actually went through a traumatic, awful event that he went through, but then he's talking about the SNL skit and how great it was and how accurate it was even. So I just love that scene. It's it's a subtle little scene that most people probably think is a throwaway scene, but I fucking loved it.
1: It's pretty mesmerizing the way he explains it.
2: Exactly. All right. And then next, um, and I'm sure I'm missing stuff here. Sorry folks, but you know, this is a over two hour movie. Um, next, I believe uh, we get the chapter named Gordy. Yes, the next chapter is named Gordy. And this is the chapter where we find out what happened on the set of Gordy's Home. Uh, basically, they were record like I said, they were filming a season two episode entitled Gordy's Birthday where he receives, you know, a couple of birthday presents. They show a couple of the jokes and shit that were in that episode. And then one of the characters on the show, the teenage daughter, gives Gordy this large box, this big-ass box, which, of course, Gordy is probably excited about. You know, it's his birthday. He's getting a present. He opens the box, and it just it's just a bunch of birthday balloons, you know, those helium birthday balloons that you could buy, like, at the supermarket or the Hallmark store or whatever. Just an entire box of them, and they all just rise up to the sky, Apparently nobody was thinking about the lights above the fucking set because as soon as the balloons hit the lights up above, they started to pop one by one, not in quick succession, but just like one would pop. And it was the sound of the pop that fucking drove. I don't know if Gordy thought he was being shot at. Maybe he was getting like PTSD from his days in the jungle. I don't know. But as soon as that first balloon popped, Gordy went off. We, he starts, like I said, Um, He attacks the daughter, the teenage daughter, um, the actress on the show, and just absolutely decimates her. I mean, he's smashing her face in with both hands and then at one point actually bends over and starts biting pieces like he bites her lips off. Um, I'm describing this really... Cool, but it, unfortunately, we don't actually see this. I know what happens because of what happens later in the film, which we'll get to. But yeah, basically, Gordy absolutely decimates the teenage star. Then the dad of the of the show comes out, and he's trying to talk Gordy down. He's like, Gordy, stop. Don't do this. And then another fucking balloon pops, and Gordy just <laughs> starts going crazy and starts chasing the dad. We don't actually get to see him tear up the dad but what we see is a swinging door in between two rooms on the set and when the door swings open we see gordy basically doing the exact same thing to the dad that he did to the daughter just two hand overhead smashes onto his head you know until dad just stops talking then the scene picks up where our cold open started remember i talked about the tv studio and the blood-covered chimp this is where (laughs) the scene continues uh we see gordy He's, you know, he, 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 it looks like he's starting to calm down. He pulls the birthday hat off his head, um, finally. And then he looks over and he looks under the table and there's little Ricky hiding under the table. Absolutely fucking terrified. Gordy looks right at him. That that's the scene from the beginning, from the cold open where Gordy looks right into the camera. But now the scene continues where we see Gordy, very menacingly walk towards Ricky. What does Ricky do that saves his life? He looks down. He does not look in Gordy's eyes. Remember Mm -hmm. folks, there's a lot of animals in the animal kingdom that take looking at them in the eyes as a threat, as a, as a form of aggression. So, um, yeah. So Ricky, as, as, um, uh, Gordy is walking towards him to do Lord knows what, ricky looks down doesn't look towards him and then you can kind of see gordy's breathing start to kind of level off and he starts to calm down and then he does and then he does something adorable it basically looks like the normal gordy is back and he actually extends his hand under the table to ricky to do a fist bump because as it turns out they invented the fist bump back in 1998 um and ricky famously has a uh A framed picture in his museum of him and ricky doing the fist bump but then just as ricky's hand is about to touch gordy's dripping bloodied hand uh we hear a gunshot go off blood splatters all over the camera and then we just see ricky still under the table just an absolute shock the the scene fades to an adult ricky telling the story and smiling now, remember that, folks, because this is a kid who went through a traumatic event, a spectacle, if you will. But then the thing that he does after this is so incredible. So that is the chapter named Gordy. We, and and by the way, folks, this scene is fucking gnarly, even though we don't get to see as much blood and gore as some of us would like. This is a very intense scene. Um, once again, the sound effects of Gordy smashing his fists into the yeah. daughter's head—oh, the squishing and cracking—and oh, it does God. the
1: less is more approach, and it actually works pretty well because, absolutely, you, I mean, as long as you have any kind of frame of reference to know how strong like primates are compared to humans, the fact that the things landing blows and the sound effects are are on point, so you know exactly what's happening. Yeah.
2: Um. Uh, so, yeah, uh, like I said, Gordy's shot and the scene ends. And now we go to our next chapter, which is called Lucky. And um, Lucky is basically, once again, a name of a horse. All the all the uh, chapters are named after animals. So once we get to the last one, uh, you'll understand why. Uh, so the next chapter, the third title chapter of the movie is called Lucky. And who is Lucky? Lucky is the horse that O.J. brought to um, Ricky's uh, theme park to give to him. Like I said, to sell to him. Apparently, he's been selling these horses for 11500 That seems low for a fucking really well-trained horse. But like I said, O.J. isn't as good a businessman as his father was. So he's taking the money anywhere he can um let's see we get um Basically, Ricky shows up one day at the farm to invite them to a show, um, but M basically tells him not to come in because she just stole a horse statue, basically one of the carousel horses she stole from Jupiter's claim, um, something that they were using as a decoy. They wanted to see if this alien creature thing would actually attack anything that was out there, and they get the confirmation that, yes, it does. It'll attack anything that looks like it's looking at it. Um, and right around this time is where we also get that reveal where, um, OJ kind of figures out that if you don't look at the alien, he does not abduct you. Um, basically, obviously, because this thing is so fucking gigantic and scary looking, you're going to naturally look up at it, which is of course, in this case, it's going to be your doom, um, at that point. The uh, the alien will just suck up everything, everything into its basically its mouth. It's got like a mouth opening on the bottom uh, of, you know, its disc shape. And then the debris from the opening scene is basically the alien spitting out all the non-organic material back out. So it basically it sucks up people, um, digests them slowly, very much like the Sarlacc pit, and then uh just excretes all the um extra shit like the coins the keys hubcaps, like literally any non-organic material that it's sucked up it spits right back down so this thing's doubly dangerous it's dangerous when it's eating and it's dangerous when it's going to the bathroom so yeah an interesting uh (laughs) feature for this alien
1: yeah Um, interesting enough earlier they i think when uh i can't remember if it was like law enforcement or if it was just the characters themselves Trying to assess what happened. Someone suggested, like, "Oh, it must have been stuff like coming out of a plane," because of yeah, the that's force. What, yeah, they that's assumed. What they yep, yep. Yeah. After
2: Keith David's death, they chalked it up to debris yeah, falling okay. out of a plane. Yep. Yeah. Um. So yeah, like I said, at this point, once um, once Kaluya kind of figures out that you shouldn't look at it, and you know, figures out a, and figures out that it's a living creature he finds a flyer for a special family lasso show that they're doing at Jupiter's claim. And he just decides, you know what, I'm going to go back and get my horse. I I just, you know, because of everything that's going on, the the farm is going to go to shit sooner than later. I'm going to go back and get lucky. And what ends up happening is while uh, OJ is on the way to Jupiter's claim, We get a scene where we see Steven Yuen's character, Ricky, preparing for a show. Him and his wife or girlfriend, whatever she is, are like, you know, kind of psyching themselves up and even practicing the speech that he's about to give. And then finally, it's the beginning of the show. So Ricky comes out, you know, in his big old red cowboy outfit. (laughs) And if uh, eagle-eyed viewers will notice that he has the alien imprinted on the back of his jacket in rhinestones. It's it's actually the alien that we've been seeing in the movie. (laughs) Kind of interesting. And why does he have that on his jacket? Well, basically, the show starts off and he's basically telling the crowd, what if I told you before you leave here today, you're going to see an honest-to-God miracle or something that's going to change you forever, I think were his exact words. And he starts to talk about how six months ago, remember, What happened six months ago? He starts to talk about how six months ago he saw a creature up in the sky and basically figured out that the creature would eat any animal that happens to be in the general area. So what he's been what this piece of shit has been doing for the last six months, he's been buying horses from O.J.'s farm and fucking feeding it to the alien. Yes, literally he set up an entire show where he feeds the alien once a day or once a week, however often this show occurs. And that's why he's been buying these horses. He's been fucking feeding the alien, which by the way, it, you know, you could almost say Steve. UN is uh, pretty responsible for what happened to uh, Otis to OJ's father, because you yeah. know, he's feeding this fucking thing. I mean, you know, Lord knows what happened the first time he saw it, that he didn't get sucked up into it. But, yeah, uh so, yeah, so, like I said, we find out that the alien has been being fed by Ricky, but this time, rather than waiting until the end of the hour to show up, uh the alien shows up right at the start of the show, and you know, he still has the string of colored flags sticking out of his butt or mouth, whatever you want to call it, um, and he basically he approaches. The crowd. Uh, Ricky is there telling the crowd, relax, folks. He's here a little early today. It's not a big deal. You know, we'll just go ahead and let the horse go and do it now. Um, but when he opens the cage that Lucky is in, Lucky refuses to come out, which I think is fucking great. Uh, Lucky absolutely refuses to come out, even though the alien is approaching um, the crowd, uh, you know, the people in the stadium watching the show. So finally, it almost seems like the alien is just sick of waiting for the horse. And he just decides, fuck it, I'm going to take everybody. And that's exactly what the alien does. He comes in and he sucks up everybody in the crowd, including Steven Yuen, who, you know, basically created this spectacle. So it makes sense that he will now be a victim of it. Um, And it really sucks because when you think about it, Ricky... Like I said, he was a he was a child actor who witnessed a traumatic event, a spectacle, if you will, and then he goes and as an adult he creates another one. He creates another spectacle, which you know, kind of is aligned with the movie and the whole concept of, of spectacles and how people can't look away and everything else. So
1: yeah, yeah, in a in a roundabout way, he's kind of almost basing his adult career around the spectacle because you gotta think you know he's out in the middle of nowhere probably it's it's a purely based uh tourism uh act that he's doing and by now he's probably known as the kid from the show that the monkey went on a rampage and he's kind of using that for his business so yeah he's he's making a tragic spectacle into a new spectacle that does turn tragic
2: exactly and right before the show also one of the other cool parts of this scene right before he starts the show he introduces his co-star from gordy's home yes the the daughter the, the the sister uh she did not die but she is just decimated she has no lips Um, It looks like one of her eyes is missing, like her whole face. I'm sure you saw her in the trailer because she's featured prominently in the trailer. But yeah, that's the young blonde girl from the show that got attacked by the monkey, which Mm -hmm. it almost makes Ricky... A little bit of a sympathetic character because he felt so bad for her. He knows that she's never going to have a career in Hollywood ever again. So he literally brings her on to his show and just calls her my first love. So it's not like she's performing. It's just he introduces her to have maybe some more star power at the show. But yeah, that was a pretty odd to actually see her face 20 years or Maybe not. Oh, yeah. Twenty four years after Gordy, because because the movie takes place in present day and then uh, the Gordy's home massacre uh, happened in 1998. So we're talking 24 years. This woman is probably in her late 30s now. But, you know, the fact that she at least has a home and and a, a sense of purpose, you know, we'll give Ricky credit for that. Like I said, Ricky had a lot of really great qualities that made him very likable. But just the mere fact that he is the one feeding this alien and making it continue because the more he feeds it, the more the alien wants. So that's why the alien is going around and suddenly it's sucking up people left and right. After a while, it's sucking up houses like it'll just suck up an entire house because it knows that there's someone in there. And then it'll just spit the entire house out. Not all in one piece, obviously, just, you know, pieces of the house falling. We actually see that with Kiki and O.J.'s house because eventually he does actually suck up that entire house. So at this point, um, O.J. arrives at Jupiter's Claim and there's no one there. We've got a full parking lot, yet there's no... people anywhere apparently there was no one in the office it, literally every single person uh guest and employee of jupiter's claim must have been at that show another thing that i wondered about if he's been doing this for six months how has this not become bigger news you know what i mean like i, I know they're not allowed to use their cell phone at the show but don't you think eventually enough people would be like i saw an alien at jupiter's claim that somebody would you know just go there just to check it out some ufo hunter or something i just found it really odd that he's been doing this for six months and he didn't even have a full house he only had about a maybe a third full crowd in the audience so it's like man this guy's showing a real alien and no one in this area of california seems to care so it's kind of a weird plot point i mean most people
1: are just kind of convinced it's like all part of like the show you know
0: Sure, sure. Yeah, that I, would be the only real way that it would work. Um,
2: I just can't it, believe that every single person that's seen this performance over the last six months, that none of them thought it was real and none of them went on the Internet to say, you guys got to see this show. This guy's got a real alien, blah, blah, blah. It just yeah, it felt figure, really it, odd. But you
0: figure if it's the kid from the TV show, you, they're probably just going to say, oh, well, he's probably just using his old special effects money.
2: I totally agree with you. I do. But I'm saying there's always going to be a few that don't care. There's going to be those UFO hunters, just like those Bigfoot hunters. If there's a rumor that somebody saw a Bigfoot 80 years ago in this part of the woods, they're going out there. So it was really odd that there was no like UFO fans or enthusiasts or anything there. It was all just locals. So I mean, whatever. It's a it's a minor nitpick. It's not a big deal. All right, so like I said, uh, OJ is now at Jupiter's Claim, everyone's gone, parking lots full, there's debris all over the place, and Uh, when O.J. goes into the arena or the stadium that they perform the show in, he sees Lucky is still in his enclosure. The door is still open, but Lucky's just sitting there standing there. So, of course, O.J. tries to call out to Lucky. He doesn't want to actually walk out there because it's a very exposed area. It's like way out in the open. So he's trying to call Lucky to get him to come over, and as soon as, As he's calling for Lucky, look up in the sky, and there's our boy flying around. Um, And this is where we get the first really, really good shot of him uh, because he swoops down. At one point, he swoops down to try to take both the horse and um, O.J., but both of them are inside enclosures. So O.J. does actually get lifted off the ground, but he gets knocked out because he hits the ceiling of the enclosure that he's in. When he comes to... The creature is gone. Um, but Lucky is still there. Uh, Lucky is pretty smart fucking horse. I mean, D- Lucky does not leave without him. He stays right there until uh, O.J. wakes up and then they go back to the farm um, where a uh, a Hollywood cinematographer is now uh, interested in working with them. Earlier in the film, Kiki calls the cinematographer from the commercial shoot earlier in the movie talking about wanting to get him to come out and get the quote unquote impossible shot. Um, The cinematographer of course, blows them off and says a bunch of cryptic stuff as you know, Hollywood douchebags tend to do. Um, But then later about, you know, a few days later, there's a news uh, cast where they're talking about the Jupiter's claim incident where all 40 um, guests and um, employees all disappeared. They show the empty, they show the parking lot filled with cars, by the way, everyone in Dulce drives a nice car. Did you notice it was all Mercedes and Audis? I was like, damn, mm-hmm. I can't afford an Audi. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so like I said, once the cinematographer sees this news report, then he's interested to go to the farm and see if he could get the shot that they're trying to get. Uh, there's a couple of multiple scenes with the um, – this is, this is kind of what felt like Jaws to me because they have this creature that they don't understand that they want to either capture or kill. And then they end up calling in an expert Quint, anyone? And then Quint, just like Quint tells the USS Indianapolis story. Um, our cinematographer tells a short story. It's not nearly as long or as cool as the USS Indianapolis story from Jaws, but you know, he, he like I said, he's a very cryptic jaded Hollywood elitist. So you know, he, he says a lot of weird shit. He even sings Purple People Eater um in the movie for some <laughs> ungodly reason. <laughs> this is this guy's quirky as shit. <laughs> um, so at this point we go to our finale. Um our big, big scene. This is this is basically the money shot where we finally see the alien in all its glory chasing um, you know, basically Um, They're trying to get the shot both with Angel, the amateur cameraman from Fry's, and then, of course, with the professional uh, photographer. What was his name? Ryder. I think Ryder. Was that his name? That sounds right. Because I know he had like a weird name, like his name wasn't like John Smith. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, so um, the cinematographer does end up getting this great shot because at one point. While they're trying to get images of the alien, a motorcycle rider comes through, a motorcycle rider who does not have permission to be on the farm. He shows up with like a really nice camera, a really nice digital camera, a nice uh, electric motorcycle, like a really expensive looking thing, uh, a mirrored helmet. So it basically hides his identity. We don't know who this person is. Um, He ends up asking a couple of questions to um, M and M instantly is like, oh, shit, it's TMZ. And she instantly is freaked out because she thinks he's going to get the shot that she's been trying to get for the last however many days or weeks at this point. Uh, But what ends up happening is the motorcycle rider without um, M's permission goes and just drives onto the farm. And then (laughs) what ends up happening, and I actually laughed my ass off at this. Uh, You guys remember about the the EMP thing that whenever the alien flies over, all electronics turn off. (laughs) And I love Angel's line in the movie where he's like, hmm, what happens to an electronic motorcycle going 60 miles an hour when it hits an EMP field going in the opposite direction? (laughs) And then we we literally see the motorcycle rider. It looks like he hit an invisible wall and just goes flying off his bike. Um, He's very injured. Um, O.J. obviously feels bad for him, even though the guy was a dick and went on his property without permission. O.J. feels bad for him. He goes to try to help the guy. And while trying to help the guy, the guy just wants his picture taken. He's like, did you get that on camera? Did you get my accident on camera? Oh, wait, don't pick me up. Get a picture of me first. Grab my camera. It's over there. Literally, he wanted his picture taken when he's severely injured. And then suddenly our alien shows up. And, oh, by the way, at this point, um, we are in the final chapter of the film, which I forgot to mention the title of the final chapter is Jean Jacket. And it's called Jean Jacket because earlier in the film, uh, they talked about a horse that they had early on on the farm that was supposed to be M's, but um, it ended up being a very, a way more difficult training than they expected. So um, the adults um, ended up training the horse Themselves, which ended up leaving like ten year old M like very upset and heartbroken, blah blah blah. Anyway, the point is is that Gene Jacket was a hard horse to tame. Like he wasn't the easiest horse to break. So in the third act, um, OJ actually names the alien Gene Jacket. So yeah, the alien now has a name. He is Gene Jacket, and that is the name of our final chapter. Okay, so after the motorcycle accident, uh, like I said, the writer is trying to get OJ to take his picture. And suddenly our alien shows up. Jean Jacket shows up right above Otis and the bike rider. And Otis instantly just says, sorry, bro. And leaves Uh, because, you know, obviously he's not going to have enough time to tell this guy don't look at it because, you know, if he really is from TMZ, we never get that confirmation. Um, It could just be some random investigative journalist, you know, from some publication But uh, yeah, literally as he's being sucked into the alien, we can hear him saying, take my picture, take my picture. Once again, the obsession with spectacle. This guy was so into seeing the impossible that he didn't even give a shit about his own safety and his own well-being. That says a lot about Americans. Um, I mean, hey, how many people say when they see a car accident, they can't look away? That's exactly what it is. It's an awful situation. But as Americans, we can't look away because we love spectacle. We love (laughs) tragedy. We love all of it. Mm -hmm. And this movie makes a very clear point of that, that, uh, you know, um, so anyway. Uh, So after the motorcycle rider is dispatched um, While the motorcycle rider is attacked The the Hollywood cinematographer gets his shot He gets his shot on his camera He actually makes a camera that doesn't need electricity Where he just kind of cranks it Kind of an old-timey camera But it's a nice IMAX camera Like this guy is, you know, legit Hollywood royalty So he's got this IMAX camera that he built himself That doesn't take electricity He ends up getting just the perfect shot he ends up recording the entire attack uh, on the motorcycle rider, or at least most of it, because halfway through he had to change reels. Um, but he does get most of it on camera. And suddenly, out of nowhere, the cinematographer, he says something very cryptic. I don't remember exactly what he says, but he says something cryptic. And then he takes his handheld camera with him and he actually starts walking out into the open field, um, hoping to attract the alien Oh, hoping to attract the uh, jean jacket. And, of course, Jean Jacket shows up as expected. Um, The cinematographer is sucked up into Jean Jacket, but he continues filming. He's still cranking the camera as he's being sucked into Jean Jacket. Um, And then just before he's actually sucked inside of Jean Jacket, um, the camera goes out. And I don't know if the camera ever fell. I mean, I would imagine Jean Jacket probably spit the camera out later. So I'm not sure if they were able to get their footage anyway, but who knows? Um, So yeah, at this point, you know, um, Angel is then attacked by the alien. Angel, um, being a normal American, can't look away from Jean Jacket. But what, what ends up happening is a large blue tarp is blown into his face, completely surrounding him. It wraps him in this blue tarp. He ends up falling down a hill. And while he falls down the hill, he's being wrapped up in barbed wire. So literally by the time he gets to the bottom of the hill, he's covered in this blue tarp and he's you know, wrapped in barbed wire. But then Jean Jacket kind of gives up, realizes that he's not going to look at him and just goes off. And, but then as Angel comes out of the tarp, we see Jean Jacket start to approach him again. And what does this fucking genius do? He wraps the barbed wire around him even tighter so that when jean jacket comes by to suck him up it can't get him he's he's basically uh tethered to the fence post by the barbed wire eventually jean jacket again gives up and we see angel fall to the ground within the tarp and he realizes kind of what happens and he's obviously very glad to be alive and um at this point like i said uh the house uh, excuse me, Gene um, Jacket does attack the farmhouse. Um, he sees, Gene Jacket sees that M runs, M and Angel both run into the farmhouse. And I guess at this point, the alien is just sick of waiting. So he literally does something we haven't seen the whole movie. He sucks up the entire fucking house. Um, somehow Angel and M are able to stay on the ground. At one point, M actually does, get elevated up like maybe five, six feet off the ground, but she gets out of the, um, the, uh, like the, dust, the, the, tornado cause it kind of looks like a tornado when Jean jacket, uh, feeds, he, he basically creates a tornado and it just sucks everything up into his mouth. So, um, like I said, at this point, the house is gone and Kaluya, um, you know, AJ basically realizes that everyone's not going to survive this situation that for any of these people to get out alive someone is going to have to sacrifice themselves of course aj does the heroic thing he uh he basically distracts um jean jacket long enough and even um gets jean jacket to move away from m so that then she can take the motorcycle that the guy brought uh turn it on don't forget it's electric uh, turn it on, and then start to drive away. As she starts to drive away, she looks back at her brother and is basically screaming at him, "Let's go! Let's go! Let's!" And uh, basically, at that moment, Kaluya takes his hood off and looks directly at the alien, looks right up at his face, and we see the. A- and this is when the alien, at this point, this thing has morphed into this. Like I said, this Lovecraftian nightmare. Not so much tentacles. But it looks like it's a giant membrane, like its skin looked membrane thin. And like I said, throughout the majority of the movie, it's that disc shape. It looks like a saucer. But then as the third act develops, it just gets bigger and fucking bigger and bigger until it literally takes up the entire sky. Literally, Daniel um, OJ looks up in the sky to look directly at the alien and you can't see any sky behind them. The alien literally takes up the entire fucking horizon and then we see the alien kind of spit out some kind of like a mouth thing where it's like it's green and it looks it looks you know organic almost like plant life where it's like spreading and then we see it kind of approach Kaluya and then uh, the scene goes to black um, you know so we're left at this point not 100% sure what happened to OJ at this point M takes the most Motorcycle and drives the Jupiter's claim. She is there. Um, she remembers that they have a giant balloon, a giant cowboy balloon there. She also remembers that they have the uh, wishing well um, camera, you know, the camera that w- you look down at the wishing well and the camera's at the bottom and it takes your picture up, you know, in an upward um, angle. Uh, she ends up using that uh, to try to take a picture of jean jacket and and how fucking ironic is that they go and spend hundreds if not thousands of dollars on all this equipment and they end up getting the picture that she was looking for on a 25 cent wishing well camera so i just i love that about it i thought that was great uh she ends up basically um she ends up releasing the inflatable cowboy and when i say big i mean this thing's like 30 40 feet tall it's a fucking godzilla size uh inflatable cowboy she ends up releasing it. You know, she takes all the, all the support cables and like disconnects them. And then it goes and it floats up into the sky. And again, what we see is this alien see this bright, colorful object floating up into the sky and then suddenly the cowboy balloon turns around so that it's facing the alien once the alien sees that the balloon is looking back at it it takes it as a threat and it does exactly what you think it's going to do it sucks up the entire balloon up into its mouth uh, unfortunately, the balloon being completely filled with helium, as we know, is a flammable gas. Um, once it gets inside the uh, orifice, if you will, of the of jean jacket, the balloon explodes. And then we see this giant explosion up in the sky. I will say this is an odd scene because you're not 100 percent sure if it kills the alien. Like, we don't see the alien fall to the ground, and we don't see the alien, like, fly away. I thought we might see it, like, just say, fuck this planet and leave, but we don't see that. Peel kind of leaves it ambiguous. I mean, obviously, we can all just assume the alien's dead, because it was a pretty massive explosion. Like I said, this was a gigantic balloon, and we see pieces of jean jacket come off after the explosion like chunks of the membrane kind of fall to the ground, but we don't see the bulk of jean jacket fall to the ground. So I'm not sure if that's a purposeful decision by peel to leave that ambiguous, who knows, maybe for a sequel or if he's just expecting all the audience members to assume it's dead, which is kind of what I took it as it. I'm just going to assume that it's dead because there was no like, um, there was no stinger at the end you know like a post credit stinger scene there was nothing like that so i'm just going to assume the alien's dead like i said um the alien explodes we see m celebrating yeah yeah that's what you get when you fuck with us blah 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 and then the final shot is she looks and it's a very western shot where she kind of looks into the horizon and she sees an image of her brother in the hor- uh, on the horizon um, kind of, and again, this is kind of leaving it ambiguous. Did Otis survive, or is this just um, em seeing maybe her brother's spirit, or maybe it's a hallucination, whatever the case may be? And that's the end of our movie, folks. Uh, pretty awesome. Damn, I, I definitely didn't give it justice in my description. What do, you,
1: what do you think? Do you think he survived?
2: No, I think he's dead. I think that's just the sister. I mean, even though they don't really set up that the sister has any mental health issues or because maybe if it would have happened with dad, like if they would have shown the sister see an image of her father after he died, then, you know, there's kind of uh, there's a precedent there. But I don't know. It's a tough one because she doesn't actually approach uh, the image of her brother. She just kind of looks at it from a distance and the movie fades to black. So
1: but, but like yeah a, a no, no, spectacle a spectacle of a closing shot. another
2: spectacle yes for everyone so man this goddamn movie like i said just so so fun 60 million dollar budget 44.4 million dollar opening weekend of course it is the number one movie in the country beating out thor and minions which hey beating a marvel movie at number one is no easy feat so good job jordan peele And then, like I said, some of the stuff that I saw on my second watch, I'm going to go through that with you guys now. Um, Like um, the home uh, basically the first thing is Gordy's home massacre. Um, I don't know if you guys remember, but back in 2009, there was a woman who actually had a chimp as a pet. Um, I forget what part of the country this took place in. Um, But yeah, a woman basically had a chimp as a pet. And one day the chimp attacked her and basically ate her face off. And I'm not I'm not exaggerating. Look up the story, folks. Her pet chimp ate her face off. Anyway, if you watch a video interview with this woman, she looks oddly like our child star who was attacked by Gordy. Almost exactly missing missing her lips. So her teeth are completely exposed and she wears that hat with the veil on it like the girl in the movie does. So, yeah, that is definitely an homage to this woman. Uh, Oh, Charla Nash was her was her name. Charla Nash. Um, Oh, and I'm sorry, it wasn't actually her chimp. It was uh, a chimp of a longtime friend of hers. So basically she was visiting her friend and the chimp just attacked her. Basically removed her face. Um, Nash underwent facial reconstructive surgery, but the doctors were not able to restore her eyes. So basically she just has empty holes where her eyes should be. Like I said, no lips. It's a really sad story. So blah, blah, blah. What are you going to do? But yeah, there you go. Gordy's, Gordy's home massacre is inspired by a real life event. Um, I already talked about the, uh, the film Um, In the movie, the the original film of the black jockey riding the horse, like I said, there is some contention around this actually being a motion picture. Um, A a lot of motion picture purists don't call this a motion picture. They just call it a series of photos. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt that this is the first motion picture ever. Um, Pictures in motion. Pictures in motion. Thank you. Um, In... Uh, Let's see, in O.J.'s home, in O.J.'s bedroom, there is a poster for a movie called Buck and the Preacher. This movie is is a 1972 Western with an all-black cast. Yes, one of the original black Westerns that were popularized in the mid-'70s. Um, We actually got a few of those. I can't think of any other examples, but yeah, Buck and the preacher is a black Western and uh, OJ had the poster in his bedroom. So I thought that was pretty cool. Potentially, who knows, maybe that was a movie that his father worked on and that's why he's got the poster in his bedroom. So, Mm -hmm. you know, food for thought, food for thought. Um, There is a major um, scene here that looks exactly like the wizard of Oz. Uh, Basically, In The Wizard of Oz, before Dorothy is sucked up in the tornado and taken to Oz, there's a shot of her running towards her farmhouse, and the tornado is in the background. In this movie, there is a shot of Otis, of of OJ, excuse me, Daniel Kaluuya, also looking at a tornado in um, in the background. And if you look at the images side by side, they're almost carbon copies, except one is Otis. And the other one is, of course, um, What's-Her-Face from Wizard of Oz. So, yeah, uh, that's another cool little thing. Um, Let's see. Oh, the stories about the UAPs is 100% true. Uh, They basically declassified UFOs as a title back in 2017 and came up with that new term UAP or Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. Um, So, yeah, that that was absolutely a real um, thing. And let's see, what else do I have? Oh, the the Scorpion King hoodie. Uh, Yeah, yeah, obviously, you don't even have to be all that eagle-eyed to see this. But yeah, at one point uh, in the third act, O.J. puts on a bright orange hoodie that is from the film The Scorpion King. And that's the movie. I forgot to actually mention it during my walkthrough. That's the movie that made M lose her horse jean jacket because they needed to train it fast for the scorpion king but then oj actually has a great little story how um it was the first job that his dad took him on set for and the fact that they ended up using camels anyway means that they wasted all their time while they were there kind of like phil Tippett working on jurassic park (laughs) and how they just threw away all of his footage in favor of cgi so yeah um kind of cool anyway um we see a jesus lizard t-shirt oh come on I know people noticed uh, M wearing her Jesus Lizard t-shirt, um, and this is a t-shirt um, that actually doesn't belong to. Oh, Angel! It's actually Angel's t-shirt that he lets M use. Um, and the shirt that she's wearing is for a song called "Monkey Trick." <laughs> I like that. So yes, Monkey Trick. Um, let's see. Jordan Peele does have a thing for deploying slowed down music in his films. There's multiple instances in this movie where when radios and record players are losing their power because the aliens going uh, up above, uh, they, they slow down uh, to a halt and then will come back slowly until they're back up at their normal speed. This is kind of a trend that we've seen in a couple of his films. So um, just cool to see him kind of stick into that. Um, arrival even there there's um one of the shots of the alien in this movie in in um nope when it i think specifically it's one of the shots um as gene jacket is chasing daniel and we see him in all its glory in the background it's still in its discus form um and we actually see it kind of fly on its side because daniel kaluuya's character um kind of let's go of a string of colored flags and because of the alien eating the fake horse earlier in the film, it was connected to colored flags. Now the alien is scared of colored flags. So that's kind of cool. Obviously I already mentioned the Steven Spielberg element to this and the um, the reminiscence to Jurassic Park and Jaws and Close Encounters of the Third Kind, like multiple Stephen King properties. Obviously, Jordan Peele is a big fan, and I appreciate that because I also love Spielberg. So, yeah. And that's just some of the stuff that I was able to see in the um, on my second viewing. Now, let's talk about the social commentary. Um, I know a lot of people have been saying that there's not a lot of social commentary in this movie, but my friends... There really is. It's just kind of buried. We talked about elements of ageism at the beginning when the film crew didn't want to work with O.J., but wanted to work with Otis. So it's not racism there. It's ageism. They didn't want to work with a younger kid who was maybe a little bit less experienced, blah, blah, blah. And he is, of course, unceremoniously escorted off the set and pretty much fired. Now, the biggest part of the social commentary for this one, my friends, what color is the alien? It is white. What color is everything else in this movie? Colorful. I didn't even bring up the Sky Dancers. Um, They utilize Sky Dancers in this movie beautifully. Um, For those of you who don't know what the Sky Dancers are, those are those... um, Wacky waving arm things that you see in front of like a car dealership or whatever I think Family Guy made fun of it once (laughs) actually had like a commercial for those Um, Those are Sky Dancers and they actually utilize Sky Dancers in this movie beautifully I didn't even bring it up and I'm not gonna now Um, If you haven't seen the movie, watch it I think it's awesome how they utilize the Sky Dancers Anyway The alien is white all of the main characters in our movie are either black or asian so uh you know we have elements of uh, an oppressive force um we also see that this thing attacks anything that looks at it so um it kind of it kind of mm, kind of emulates the fear that some white people have of minorities rising up and hurting them um this alien kind of like i said when we see the scene where kaluya throws up a string of uh colored flags on a parachute, and we see Jean Jacket veer off to the side. We kind of see that we see how it's now scared of the colors. Hmm, a white creature scared of colors. Where have I seen that before? Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, that was a cool, and then exactly, and then we got to talk about the parallels with Gordy. Gordy is once again a spectacle he is being forced to perform to do something that he's not supposed to i mean this is a chimp who's supposed to be living in the jungle climbing trees and eating bananas instead here he is in a tv studio being forced you know onto this hot set and for those of you who've never been on a tv set it is fucking hot those lights are hot as shit so um so yeah like i said and What happens to Gordy when he finally feels, um, you know, that last bit of threat? Like I said, the, uh, the balloon popping, he snaps and he attacks. And who does he attack? He attacks his captors, or at least the people that he perceives as his captors, because you also notice he doesn't attack Ricky. Now, I did mention that Ricky doesn't look him in the eyes, and potentially that could be why he doesn't attack him. Or you could look at it at the social level. You know, maybe maybe the monkey looked at white people as his captors, and that's why he attacked them when he lost. You know, when he lost his mind. So I mean, like I said, there's different angles that you could look at with that Gordy scene as to why he didn't attack Ricky. Um, oh, what else could we do? Um, the Sky Dancers, all colored, and like, and I already mentioned how um, the alien gene jacket is scared of the flags the line of flags it's odd that he never really sucks up any of the sky dancers even though they have eyeballs so obviously the fear that oj instilled in jean jacket because of the fake horse with the colored flags on it is starting to shine through um and then of course like i said just the the whole spectacle thing the whole message of this movie that you know we as americans just can't look away from something tragic or something spectacular mm-hmm. you know what i mean I And mean, how you often do we slow down on the freeway to look at an accident even though it has nothing to do with you and even if you're in a hurry and i still see people do it in california all the time
1: the whole uh the whole idea of you know don't look at it and it won't kill you it reminded me of that um the segment on the Treehouse of Horror when all the like the town, uh, the mascots, the, the, the mascots all yeah, come yeah. alive, and then Lisa figures out that like it's the attention you give them that keeps them going. Exactly. So they come up with a song "Just Don't Look." On the exactly. it was a Treehouse of Horror episode.
2: Oh, and then I forgot. Uh, I forgot. I, I think it was like
1: Attack of the Fifty Foot Isos. I think that's yeah, what yeah. it was called.
2: Yeah, uh, I want to say Treehouse of Horror six. I want to say somewhere in that range. It was
1: definitely in that era. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It was definitely after five because five is my favorite and I'm pretty sure it was after five. But anyway, speaking of um, the whole don't look at the alien thing, um, it ha- this thing even has parallels to slavery. Um, I don't know how averse people are in the antebellum period of America, but um, slaves were not allowed to look at their white master's. They weren't allowed to look at the masters. They weren't allowed to make eye eye contact with any white person on the farm. And guess what happens if they looked uh, a white person in the eyes? Exactly, my friends. So, yeah, more parallels to racism throughout our history. This alien kills anything that looks at it, anything colorful that looks at it. And mind you, I'm exaggerating a little bit with the whole colored thing because, G jacket does eat plenty of white people i mean there's more white people than anybody in agua dulce in in this part of california so you know i'm not necessarily saying that um you know that he's only eating minorities or colored things but i mean you can't ignore the theme of this giant white creature eating colored items in this you know in this world and like i said when you think about the parallel to slavery and how the slaves couldn't look at their masters in the eye you know, the more Jordan Peele greatness kind of coming to the surface. And you know what, folks, I'm sure there's going to be more. If as I watch this, you know, more times over the next few months, years, I'm sure I'm going to be able to see even more social commentary in here. But yeah, um, despite people saying that this is the film, this is a Jordan Peele movie that doesn't have as much social commentary. And I do agree with it because the commentary in Get Out and Us was thick as shit incredibly thick. And I will fully admit that this movie it's not ultra thick. I mean Don even mentioned it earlier that he had missed it completely. I guess that's just me being a minority. As a minority, I see these things a little bit more. I see this giant white creature going after these black uh protagonists and yeah, instantly, yeah, you know, it's it's like it's like the first time I watched King Kong and I saw King Kong, this giant black creature up in chains from its white masters on stage in New York. I mean, it's just, I, I think it just comes with being a minority. You kind of see that stuff a little bit more. I'm not yeah. black by any stretch. Everyone knows I'm Hispanic. So I haven't had to deal with as much racism as your average black person, but I still have had to deal with it. So
1: I, I feel like with this one, it's definitely there, but maybe you could say it doesn't drive the story as much as in his first two movies.
2: Definitely. Yeah. Oh no, absolutely. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. It definitely. Well, yeah, it's kind of how I my- so.
0: Oh, that's what I'm saying. I mean, that's kind of how I missed it. Is that I I knew what I was supposed to be looking for was that, but I just I didn't pick it up on it immediately like I did the other two.
2: Oh man, I mean, I could talk about the movie for another hour, but I'm sure we've been at it for a while now. Holy shit, we've been at it for a while.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> I just realized how long we've been going. Yeah, Jordan Peele movies, folks. There's so much to talk about, whether you like the movie or not. There's so much. Uh, you know there's so much in there to talk about so many layers that yeah we end up losing track of time i think our us episode was over three hours wasn't it
1: <laughs> i think so yeah
2: i mean we had yeah. guests on that episode too we had like uh two guests right we had joey Mood, and, Moods and joey
1: for half of it
2: yeah exactly so yeah but th- i mean that's the thing with jordan peele folks He he's obviously a filmmaker who has a lot to say and if you're open-minded enough, you're going to see the things that he has to say. Um, and, and ultimately, if you don't see it, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, this movie, this is definitely the movie of Jordan Peele's that you can take it just face value and still have a great time. Don't think about the color of anybody's skin. Don't think about, you know, any of the parallels to slavery or, you know, um, creatures being, you know, kind of being used against their will to do things that they don't want to do. I mean, even if you ignore all of it and just take it as an alien movie, this movie is still fucking great. <laughs> and, and one thing that I forgot to mention early in the episode, I hate alien movies. Any alien movie that doesn't involve a xenomorph or a predator, I don't give a shit about. I've never been an alien fan as far as like the greys, you know, the fire in the skies of the world. Like, you know, I named off a couple of classic alien movies earlier. I am not a fan of any of them. I don't like alien movies. It's just something I've never really gravitated towards. But I love this fucking movie.
0: (laughs) You're really not going to like one of my episodes I just recorded a couple
2: days ago. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, like I said, with me having this kind of bias towards alien movies, I still had an absolute blast with this, you know. Um, the social commentary isn't jammed down your throat. Um, it's not a woke movie, if you will. Like a lot of people were accusing Candyman and us of being, but, uh, man, just, just a great fun movie. Like I said, shut off your brain and just enjoy it and watch it on the biggest screen you can find because there are multiple shots in this movie. I watched it Saturday in Dolby and then I watched it Sunday on IMAX and holy shit, that IMAX image is amazing. So if you're still interested in seeing this movie and you're still listening to my voice, go see it on the biggest screen you can find. You will not regret it. At least most of you won't regret it.
1: <laughs> yeah, the these big shots of like the landscapes and stuff, you really need to see it in the theater.
2: Yeah, I mean, that one that first shot at the beginning of the third act where the aliens right behind OJ on his horse that shot is fucking stellar. I can't. And it's a shot that you've seen in many alien movies before. It's not like it's the most original shot, but it's just so gorgeous that you can't ignore it. It's amazing. So, yeah, IMAX it up, folks. Mr. Venom recommends IMAX.
1: <laughs> and with that, I think that's going to wrap up our discussion on Jordan Peele's Nope. Mm-hmm. So, let's uh, find out where else we can be heard. Uh, Venom, I'll start with you.
2: All right. No More Room in Hell presents Creature Comforts. Episode 11 is officially out. We look at Phil Tippett's Mad God. The first time we look at a brand new film on Creature Comforts. So hope you guys enjoy that one. Like I said, it is officially released. If you don't use any podcast catchers, you can catch that on darkdiscussions.com. As with all the shows that we do on the No More Room in Hell banner Um, Let's see what else. The main show, No More Room in Hell, number 46, um, or number 47, I think we're up to finally, um, unfortunately was postponed this weekend. So if everything goes well, it will be recorded this weekend. Once again, I feel like I've talked about this for four, like four weeks, and we still haven't recorded it. Once again, we'll be looking at Mike's picks, which are 1959's The House on Haunted Hill and 1963's The Haunting. And uh, let's see, I think that's all I have. Yeah, no guest spots and um, just fresh cuts and all the other No More Room in
1: Hell shows. Okay, how about you, Don?
0: Yeah, as mentioned, Creature Comforts is uh, finally available. Um, That one was a lot of fun. Um, Latest episode of uh, the Horror Countdown, I had a friend of mine on. Um, We looked at our favorite killer, uh, not killer cars but favorite cars in films so, so yeah a lot of killer cars were on the list but um a few others that um aren't you know they don't do, really do damage but, but uh, you know still are iconic enough and make an appearance so uh go ahead and do that um i'm finalizing details for um, a new guest spot I, I mentioned it last week but uh, we're still working things out um i was supposed to announce it today but um i got a message about half an hour before we started and turns out that we're gonna have to push that back uh so i can't quite reveal it just yet but uh hopefully soon we'll be able to get the details out but um yeah other than that uh not much else going for me
1: okay so as far as i go yeah it's just Fresh cuts and then the first episode of the sidecast watch this movie Mike is up with guest Doug Tilly we look at the British war drama a little bit of romance in there uh the life and death of Colonel Blimp and I actually have episode two recorded it's just not up yet I'll probably get to work on that after this episode is up so um come along nicely with that show like I said trying to space them out I don't want to Release a bunch at once and then, like, not get to it for like a couple of months. So, um, I'm uh, working on booking more guests for that, but uh, that's all I got. Uh, is there anything theatrical releasing this week, or are we back to VOD? Uh, no, no, August, there's a handful, but yeah, I think no, yeah. Nothing,
2: nothing this week. Uh, I think uh, the movie I'm most interested in is Moloch or Moloch, however the hell you pronounce it. I almost
1: threw that on last night but it was like kind of getting late and i yeah. woke up early to take a walk before work so i was like i don't want to watch it half out of it exactly I'm, I'm
2: kind of down to check that one out i'm interested to see it anyway whether we review it or not that's why it kind of came to mind okay well yeah we'll um that's kind
0: of... kind of the big one for me um i can't really think of anything because uh there's not much that's really like hitting the uh, vod stuff and mark yeah. j- nato just released the uh main episode of HorrorCast, so i think that means he should be releasing the rotten round table and hopefully get one of those damn lists back out again yeah because <laughs> so, yeah, cool. those were kind of uh, the main things i was using and uh, taking a couple months off is kind of killing my ocd with uh <laughs> keeping up to date on those things
1: i hear you i hear you yeah. unless we want to do the guar documentary which I'm not against. <laughs> that thing is long. Did do you see the running time on it?
2: I haven't. I, I, I was it's gonna like watch two and
1: it a movie. half hours long.
2: Well, guar has had a long career, so yeah. I, I would expect it. <laughs>
1: there, like, there's definitely a stockpile of VOD stuff to choose from. The problem is like sifting through it to be like, do I watch? <laughs> am I going to watch four bad ones before I get to one? I actually, actually want to talk about. So I think your idea, the one on shutter uh, yeah. is looking good. Cause I, I remember looking at the synopsis, and it was interesting to me. So,
2: You know me with foreign horror.
1: <sighs> Definitely. <laughs> so, yeah, let's plan for that. And then that's going to wrap up this episode. So thank you, everybody, for listening. We will catch you next time on Fresh Cuts. Uh, let's say bye to the listeners. Later. Avert your eyes, you idiots.
2: <laughs> Don't look into the sky.